Friend, do you believe in fate? Do you believe in fate? Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines fate as the will or principle or determining cause by which things in general are believed to come to be as they are or events to happen as they do. We use words like destiny, fate, foreordained, predestined to describe a future that is set in stone. It was fate that brought them together. He met his fate. When tragedy strikes, the unthinkable happens. Modern psychologists tell us that that human beings conjure up this belief in fate as a coping mechanism. When something bad happens to you, you cope with that by conjuring up these ideas of destiny and fate. Our belief is in fate is nothing more in their minds than the way to explain the unexplainable. In Greek and Roman mythology, there were three wicked sisters named Fate. These sisters controlled the human beings' actions. They controlled uh, their destinies. The problem with these particular sisters in, in this mythology was that they could easily be bribed. And they could easily then distort one's future, determine one's lot in life. They were fickle, and they would often use their power to control the destinies of these unwitting human beings. And have you ever given much thought to this idea of fate? Is there a divine being that controls your destiny? Or is humanity just at the whim of free will? Do things just randomly happen and you and I are free to make whatever choices we make and they have really no future impact? Are we free to choose our futures for ourselves? These are pretty big questions, no doubt. These are difficult questions. And and of course, Christians have answered these questions differently. But thankfully, the Bible I believe, really just points us the way home as we think about. And our text this morning is going to do just that. Now, we've been studying this book of Ephesians, a a letter that Paul wrote sometime in the mid-60 A.D., a long time ago, to a people that are not so much unlike us. They were Gentiles, which means that they were not of Jewish lineage. Uh, They were pagan. They lived in a pagan culture. A culture that was not Christian. So do we. We live in a pagan culture. Paganism was all around them. Idolatry was rampant. And so us. It's a fitting book written to a congregation of Christians that were gathered together there in Ephesus who had repented and believed upon Christ. And Paul picks up his pen to write to this this young church in order to encourage them to to call them to a deeper level of unity as they considered God's gracious calling in their life. That God had called them out of darkness and into light. And the Apostle Paul begins this letter uh, by praising God. Just, Just as we began our service this morning with praise, so the Apostle begins this letter with praise. In verses three through seven, or verse six rather, he began by praising God for choosing us in Christ. And we thought about divine election. We're going to think about it again this morning as it comes up in our text. 
so he began by praising God for choosing. Then he shifted in verses 7 through verse 10 for praising God for redeeming us in Christ. So, so we've been redeemed in Christ. We've been purchased. And then last week, or excuse me, rather this week, we're con- considering this inheritance. And then next week, the eternal security that we have in Christ. And this sort of fourfold praise that the apostle uh, opens the door with or opens the letter with are themes that we're going to find throughout as he builds on these theological ideas. Well, again, this morning we're going to look at verses 11 and 12, so I invite you to turn there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I just encourage you to grab one from the, the pew back in front of you. It's a black, so there's a Holy Bible on it. Turn to page 976. Uh, you'll be helped. I have nothing great to offer you this morning, uh, but that book does, and that's what we're going to spend our time looking at. Um, so open it up, 976. You'll find the big word Ephesians at top. Go down to, and find the little number 11. It's on the on the right hand, or the left hand side, rather. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Might be to the praise of his glory. Let's consider this this morning. I've written out this proposition for us to consider, and that is this, that as Christians, we should continually praise God for the promise of our inheritance in Christ. Our worship should be informed by the inheritance that we have in Christ. It is the fuel that propels our worship. As we reflect on this inheritance that we have received As adopted sons and daughters, this inheritance that is ours in Christ is what makes up our praise. It's what gives us the the words to sing praise. That God has predestined us to be heirs with Christ so that we would eternally praise Him. Now we're going to dive in here this morning and I hope to keep us out of the weeds Remember this, uh, this adage we use also, of, often, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Our, our brother Alistair Begg says that often. Uh, I think that's a helpful adage. Uh, let's not get in the weeds, but stay on the main thing. What, what's clear in the text, how, do, how does that clarity help understand the point of the passage? And I, I hope this morning is that we leave encouraged to continually praise the Lord for our inheritance given freely to us by His will. I hope this morning that we leave with a, with a greater sense that, that this, this salvation that we've received was a gift given by God, not something that we earned. And if it's something that God has done to us, then surely it's something that we can't mess up. That this is something that's eternally secured in the person of Jesus. And so this morning, if you take notes, there's two main ideas I want us to consider. Two parts of our inheritance that I think the Apostle Paul wants you to know. Number one, that God gave you an inheritance through your union with Christ. God gave you an inheritance because you are united to Christ. So we're going to sort of drill in a little bit there. What does it mean to be united to Christ? We're going to think 
that because we are connected to Jesus, we get everything that is his. And then the second main idea I want us to think about is that God gave you an inheritance because he predestined you. He predestined you. Predestination, which for some is a scary topic, seems to be important in your Bible. And we're going to think about it this morning. We're going to think about what it means. We're not going to be afraid of it, but we're going to lean into it and see what we can find this morning through God's Word. So first, God gave you an inheritance through your union with Christ. Look with me again at the text. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. Notice the phrase that the Apostle Paul uses here. In Him we have an inheritance. Now, right out of the gate, we've got to make a decision this morning. Who is the we referred to? Does the we refer to Jews, Jewish Christians, or does the we refer to all Christians? Now, scholars and interpreters and preachers have debated what the we refers to, but I believe that the we here is used to contrast verse 13. Read it, let me read it again for you. In him we have obtained an inheritance, verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth. Notice the contrast there between the we have obtained an inheritance and in him you also have obtained an inheritance. What the apostle Paul is doing is he is contrasting these ideas in order to envelop the congregation in the inclusion. In other words, we could say it this way, the we refers not merely to Jewish Christians, but all those outside of Ephesus who have repented and trusted in Christ. And then he writes to the church and he says, hey look, all the things we've gotten in on, you've gotten in on as well through your faith in Christ. This is why the the Apostle Paul will say that they were the first to hope in Christ. In other words, the gospel message came to them, they repented, and now that gospel message has come to you. So friends, we could do it this way. Think of it this way. Let's, let's include the Ephesians. In him, the Ephesians have obtained an inheritance. In verse 13, in him, First Baptist Avon Park, you also have an inheritance. You see how he does that? He's including you in God's grand narrative of saving sinners for his glory. This inclusion of not only Jews, but Gentiles into his tremendous plan. In fact, he's going to pick up with this idea at the end of chapter 2. So we'll, we'll reserve our thoughts for the end of chapter 2, where we see that there's not Jew and Gentile, but there's one new people that he's created in Christ. Uh, this new Israel, Jesus, is the one then who is ushering in a new people, and so we don't have, you know, distinctions anymore. We don't have a Jewish church, a, a, a Gentile church. A, a, we shouldn't have ethnic churches either. I mean, if you really think of it, I mean, obviously we have language churches because of the language barriers, right? But we want multi-ethnic, multinational churches because that's the vision that Paul has here in the book of Ephesians. Well, immediately out of the gate, I, I know your mind has gone there. Well, what's this inheritance that I got? You know, is it money? Is it some bonds, some stock? What, what inheritance am I getting? What is it that God has given me? Some Christians have wrongly concluded it's a mansion in the sky, and that's just because of a bad translation in the King James. Um, do I get property? What, what do I get? What's my inheritance? 
Read it again and see if you can't discern what it is. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now throughout this section, I believe the Apostle Paul is giving us our inheritance. It's, it's made explicit in these blessings that he's got. So in verse 5, we talked about the blessing that in love he predestined us for adoption, right? So we've been adopted into the family. We get the family inheritance. We're now included. We get everything that Jesus gets. But even more than that, we could say that as we consider this text, really, we get Jesus. That's what we try to affirm through that song, Jesus is mine, right? Fade, fade each earthly joy. <laughs> isn't, that the, isn't that the walk of the Christian? We're sort of the, the, these earthly joys are fading. We have nothing. We're at death's door. What, what more? What, if you're a dying man, a million dollars isn't going to help you. If you're a dying man, you know, a great inheritance from your forefathers isn't going to save your life. It truly is. Death is the most vulnerable place that we as humanity goes to, right? It's unknown to us. We don't know what's on the other side. We, no one has come back to tell us about it. Not that we know of. Well, save the individuals in the Bible. But yet, in the midst of those, it is it is this knowledge that, that we have Christ, that we have Jesus, that gives us satisfaction to our soul. Or accordingly, what the Apostle Peter said earlier in that scripture reading that I read, that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. My friend, who's in heaven but Jesus? You know, our sinful minds often go to sinful places. You know, I'm going to have all these things when I get to heaven. My friend, all of those things will pale. Even if you had the whole world. Even if your inheritance was a billion mansions. My friend, all of those would pale in the comparison to, to knowing the, the worth of Christ Jesus. Of, of knowing Jesus, that Jesus is yours. That, you see, there's no greater gift. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians. This is an inexpressible gift. Human language pales to compare this, the weight, the value. You can't put a value. It's, it's a priceless gift. But how did we receive it? How is it that you and I, I mean, none of us in this room to, today, I mean, you know, some of us are better off than others, but none of us are that good off. Right? I mean, all of us had to drive ourselves here for the most part. We, we had to get here, right? How did we get this? Well, again, the Apostle Paul throughout this section has made clear that it is in Christ that we receive these blessings. We'll just walk through them again, just a little um, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, where? In Christ. He has blessed us in Christ. The blessings we have is because we're in Christ. We're united to Christ by faith. We are linked up with Jesus. By our faith in him. Throughout this, verse, verse 4, in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ 
Verse 7, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Or there at the, at the end of verse 10, we see that everything is united in Christ. That the, the, the master plan for the universe was that one day, Jesus would unite everything in him under his rule and reign. Jesus holds all things together. And through our faith in Christ, we have been united to him. You see, it's by faith, uh, trusting that what Christ has done was for us. That Jesus didn't die for someone else's sins. He didn't die for his own sins. He, he died for your sins. And what you're doing in faith is you're trusting that what he did was for you. And therefore applying it to yourself. And in doing so, everything that is his becomes yours. Friend, this is a a wonderful comfort to to us this morning. That we have an inheritance. It's ours. Not because we deserve it, but because of him who promised it. It's secured. Now we'll think of that particular aspect of it next week as we consider that it it is secured by the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance, that's a down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. It's a reminder that though we suffer today, though we're subject to decay, disease, we long for this inheritance that is ours in Christ. This eternal life where we get to eternally live in enjoyment of God. You see, sometimes we we talk of heaven as if it is the end in and of itself. That, hey, I get to live forever, I'm eternal. That's not the end. That's not the ends, the purpose of your salvation. The purpose of your salvation, as the Apostle Paul has made explicitly clear throughout this praise, is it, it's to the praise of His glory. You see? You've been saved. You have eternal life so that you can use every single second of that eternal life to offer praise to God. Now, for some of you, that might sound terribly boring which is why you're not going to heaven. Let's be honest. I remember a number of years ago, a, a young college student in my ministry was, she was just like, just scared. She was like, oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. We're just going to go like have church every day to sing songs? Like that sounds horrible. Right? Her vision was sort of truncated. <laughs> all she thought of it was just we were just going to you know, sing hymns in heaven all day. Like, oh, friend, there, there's so much more than heaven to that. You see, we praise God when we wash dishes. We, we praise God when we, when we care for our children. We praise God when we work really hard in our jobs. We praise God through so many ways. Our, our whole life ought to be a, a continual praise of the glory of God. And so this world is broken. Yes, this world is, is difficult, but we keep moving to this eternal inheritance. You see, see that's, that's where our anchor is. It's there. We want to get to where the inheritance is. Our inheritance isn't here. Isn't it so sad how, how often so many will, will anchor themselves here rather than there? I mean, that's your home. This, this is, you're just passing through. The Bible often describes us as sojourners, aliens, travelers. We're just kind of, we're on a journey here. This is not the permanent place. 
We're going to a celestial city beyond the great river. We're going to get there one day. And this, this world is going to be destroyed. And God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. That's what we're longing for. Though our outer self is wasting away day by day, our, our inner self, isn't it, being renewed? We have received an inheritance. It, it's ours today. And it cannot be taken from us. It is only by this union with Christ. And since we are co-heirs with Christ, we receive what is His eternally. The riches of heaven are ours through Jesus Christ. If you, if you want to kind of fast forward a little bit, in a couple weeks we're going to look at this again in the prayer that Paul prays after this praise. And then he just mines out the riches of this glorious inheritance in Christ. Well, let's move on. So we've considered here our inheritance. Now, now let's, let's think for a moment who gets in on this. How is it that we receive this inheritance? Well, it's through our union with Christ. But notice here, he grounds it in God's determinative plan for your life. God gave an inheritance to those whom he predestined. Look what the text says. In him we have obtained an inheritance. All right, cool. Well, how did we get that? Having been predestined, According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, the Christian Standard Bible uses the word because uh, to help demonstrate the causality of our inheritance. In other words, if you have a CSB Bible, it should say something like this. In him we've obtained an inheritance because we've been predestined to receive it. You see? Paul here in this text describes predestination in two ways. Number one, he describes its basis. And secondly, he describes its purpose. Now this is where we can go real sideways here if we do not understand the basis of God's predestinating work. Look at the text again. What does he say? That you have been predestined because you are amazing. Because I needed you to be on my team. Because I knew you would do something awesome for me. Because you would be the best vessel to display my glory. No, it doesn't say any of that. It says, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So the question, why were you predestined? If you are in Christ this morning, if you are a Christian, you've been Born again, why did God predestine you? Well, it isn't because you're amazing. It isn't because you deserved it. He did it because of his own sovereign purposes. Only God can answer the why. And that's what the Apostle Paul says here. The Apostle Paul says the why is that God does what he does according to his own counsel, his own will. It's according to his own determined plan. The sovereignty of God means that God rules and reigns through Christ over his creation. Now immediately, I know what's happening. You got this uneasy feeling in you. You think maybe it's breakfast. You're not sure what it is, but it doesn't feel right. And the the word that's kind of creeping up in in your soul right now is that's not fair. That God would choose to save a people, but he wouldn't choose to save everyone. 
that's not fair. And you know, it's interesting that that's where we often begin. That doesn't feel fair. Well, I guess it depends on how you define fair, isn't it? It all depends on how you define justice. You see, none of us want to see an innocent person imprisoned. None of us want to see an innocent person harmed. When we see injustice, we immediately say, that's not fair. That's not right. There's something instinctive in us that wants justice. But the problem when we insert the word fair into this conversation is that we think that we deserve something that we don't. Because of our rebellion against God, because of our willful choice to sin against God and to trespass His law, which was written on our hearts, we didn't need to learn it in a Bible study. We knew it from birth, and we've been rebelling since birth. See, what we deserve, what's fair, is that we all are condemned. What would have been fair had it been God said, Adam, Eve, I'm done with the whole lot of y'all. You're done. What would have been fair would have been him to kill Noah and the whole lot of humanity and not just save Noah and his family. What would have been fair would have for him to kill Abraham and then Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his whole family because they were really, really messed up. What would have been fair would have been for him to kill, like his law said, that adulterer David who sinned with Bathsheba. What would have been fair was for David to be executed for his sin. What would have been fair would have been for God to completely annihilate the Jews in Jerusalem for killing his own son. What would have been fair would have been for you and I never to have existed. But God in his infinite love, in love, he says in verse 5, he predestined us in love. You see, the basis of our electing is not anything in us. It is God. Friend, you are his creation. He gets to decide what he does with it. If you want to read more about this, read Romans chapter 9. The Apostle Paul lays out this wonderful argument that God can do with his creation what he wants to do with it. Just like you can do what you want to do at your house, well, in a sense, God can do what he wants to do with his creation. And this is how he's chosen to do it, for his glory. And sometimes these things are difficult, and they require a tremendous amount of faith. Sometimes you have to wrestle with these things. So this morning, if you're like, this is, I'm struggling here, Pastor. I just want to be honest. You lost me. I don't know. It's okay. It's okay. You know what you need to do in those moments when, when you're confronted with a doctrine of Scripture? Just stop and pray. God, help me understand this. I, I don't understand it. I, I'm trying to understand it. But, you know, where we need to start is not by saying no, but, but by saying, Lord, teach me. Teach me your ways that I might know you and understand you better. Help me, Holy Spirit, right now, understand what all this means and why you've done it this way. You see, it's a wonderful truth that that Jesus himself taught. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. 
You see, God had chosen from eternity past a people that he would elect for his own possession. Not because of anything good they had done, but because of the praise of his glory. Jesus said, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. It's a determinative thing. He says, it will happen. They will come to me. And whosoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You see, God's work is according to his will and not man's. For that ought to give us tremendous assurance. Our assurance of salvation is in that song we sang earlier, that he will hold me fast. He'll hold me fast. I don't know... Maybe you all are way better Christians than me. But pretty much every day, I'm wondering if, how I'm going to screw this up. How bad am I going to mess up this salvation, this glorious salvation? You know, I'm in the Word, and I'm just overwhelmed by His grace and His mercy. And His, oh, God, you are an amazing God. And five seconds later, I'm, you know, being mean to my kids or something. That's, that, maybe that's your story. You see, we have to believe that God is holding us fast, that we are not holding fast to these things. See, our inheritance is secured in an eternal will of God. Nothing nor anyone can affect it. That's what Paul concluded in Romans chapter 8. Divine election does not, though, and hear me, if you fade it here, divine election does not remove human responsibility. How do I know? How do I know? How do you know this morning that, that, that we're not just puppets? So someone this morning might be saying, well, pastor, if God's determined everything, then, then, then it, isn't it just fatalism? I mean, isn't it just mechanical, just little robots doing? No, see, friend, this is the mystery of it all. God uses the free choices of men to bring about his sovereign purposes. You see, the Bible teaches that God is sovereign, but man is responsible. Look at, your te- look at the text again. Look at it again. Verse 12. God has elected a people for his own possession so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then look, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So someone there sitting here this morning might say, I don't know how to reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It's okay, you don't have to. Because see, the Apostle Paul holds them both in tension, doesn't he? He doesn't just say God is sovereign, everything's just going to happen, everybody just sit back in their easy chair and things are just going to happen to you. No, you heard and you believed. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility to believe. Repent and believe. You see, some of us camp out on one side of the argument or the other, but we have to hold them both in tension. You see, divine sovereignty does not negate or mitigate human responsibility. You must repent and believe. Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul says that faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. How do you get faith? Well, you have to hear a sermon. You have to have someone share the gospel with you. That is the mechanism that God has chosen for his own glory, to communicate his word. Now someone might say, well, well, I grew up understanding that God had foreknowledge, and he looked down through the corridor of time, and he saw all those that were going to believe in him, and those are the elect. And friend, that just doesn't hold water. 
Because if that's true, then chapter 2, you just need to delete from your Bible. Because it says that we are saved by grace and not by works. You see, the whole foreknowledge argument falls apart when you understand that you're, you're saved not because of something you did in the, in the future. You're saved unconditionally, not based on anything good or bad. You might say, was this a new thing? Is this something that God's always been doing? Yes. So we encourage you, many of you in our Sunday school, has been studying through Genesis. Friend, I think divine election is taught in the book of Genesis as the pinnacle doctrine. In fact, the whole story of Joseph is about God's meticulous sovereignty over his people. He would take that young boy and put him through all of those things. Yet, Joseph was a moral being who had to choose left or right, up or down. He, he had a choice God superintended the will of, of Joseph to bring about his sovereign plan, to save a people for his own possession. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Chose Jacob over Esau. Why? Well, it wasn't because Jacob was going to turn out better. No, Jacob and his family were arguably worse than Esau and his family. All throughout the Bible, God chooses a people for his own possession to give them an eternal inheritance. God works according to his will and not man's will. And I believe, as I've mentioned a couple weeks ago, that humility and caution are in order when we reflect on divine election. And I said it then and I'll say it again because you maybe weren't here or you weren't listening. If you rightly understand the doctrines of grace, you ought to be the most humble human being in the room, not the most proud. And if you are the most proud, you do not understand the doctrines of grace, that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Presbyterians are way smarter than Baptists. This is true. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, this is what the Westminster Divines wrote. The doctrine of this high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care. That men, attending the will of God revealed in his word and yielding obedience thereunto, may from the certainty of their effectual vocation be assured of their eternal election. Amen. So shall this doctrine afford matter of praise, reverence, and admiration of God, and of humility, diligence, and abundant consolation to that sincerely obey the gospel. In other words, we don't throw it around like a theological football. Isn't it interesting, as Paul's writing to a church he's seeking to unify, that he uses the word that seems to divide congregations so often and uses it often. You see, this wonderful truth that God has called a people unto himself ought to give us a, a grand wonder and mystery. How is it that we all showed up in this place at this particular time? How is it? Because God has foreordained these days for his glory. You see, this is the point that he drives home, and this is where we land, is that predestination 
is to the praise of his glory. Look there at verse 12 again. Why did he predestine according to the purpose of his will? Why did he do that? Verse 12, the purpose. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Isn't it interesting how we never get there? We just leave mad and aggravated with one another. He believes that and he believes this and this and this and this. God is robbed of his glory when we don't believe his word. This doctrine is not meant to divide, but meant to bring God glory. It's meant to praise him, to say, God, this is your plan. You've been working this plan out. You're the, the architect, not us. You've been doing this. And though I don't understand all the ways and the whys, this mystery, I trust it. And I ask for faith to believe it more. All of our life, brothers and sisters, is aimed with this in mind, the praise of his glorious grace. And this glory is revealed, this glory that we think of, this is the the sum total of all of God's attributes, all of his goodness, and we're thinking here of his divine sovereignty. We don't want to diminish his sovereignty, we want to elevate him. And let's be honest, if if we can. Who wants to live in a world where God isn't in control? Live in a world when tragedy hits, when the call that you have cancer, your child has died in an automobile accident, when some horrific tragedy strikes, what comforts you but the divine sovereignty of God? God's in that. When the doctor calls and says, I have cancer, God's in that. And they don't understand it. He's in it. When death comes, God is in that. In the darkness of our depression and anxiety, in those sleepless nights, God is in that. When the dark clouds don't ever seem to move away and the sun never shines, God is in that. When the waves of life are crashing into our boat and we look and we find Jesus sleeping, God is in that, you see? Divine sovereignty is the pillow by which we rest our heads every night. God is at work to will and to work for his good pleasure. That is our comfort, brothers and sisters. That is our assurance that we have received this great inheritance through a sovereign God, not not according to our good works, but according to his glory alone. And because we have been predestined to salvation The only basis of our inheritance is in Him alone. Thus it is secure in Him alone. Jesus taught His disciples not to lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves will break in and steal. He said, but lay up treasures in heaven where none of those things can get to it. Friend, what are you investing in? 
Where is your inheritance? Is it secured in Christ and glory waiting for you? Is that what you long for? Is that inheritance to receive all that is yours in Christ? Or is it in this world? Or the days of this world? You know, the things of this world make poor treasures because absolutely none of them will last. We're reminded this morning that we ought to continually praise God for the promise of our eternal life in Him. God has predestined us to be heirs with Christ so that we would eternally praise Him. Our election humbles us and does not cause us pride or boasting. It reminds us that our inheritance is eternally secured for His glory alone. Friends, remember this truth. That in Christ, God has given you all things. Let us be like Moses. Who did not look to the fleeting pleasures of sin. But endured. Because he had an inheritance that waited him far greater than anything Egypt could offer him. Let us keep moving forward and upward as we await our Lord's return. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we pray that a better sermon was heard than the one preached. Lord, that you would give us illumination and understanding of these deep things. Lord, that we would not retreat from them, though we don't understand them, but that we would seek, by your grace, to understand them better. Father, that we would be a people that are charitable with those who disagree with us. Though there are some brothers and sisters in this room that that differ with us on this theological point, we are still brothers and sisters in Christ and united together in one family. And though our differences may often, Father, seem to be glaring, our unity in the gospel is greater. Father, may you be glorified in us as a people. May this truth shine brightly in us for the praise of your glory and not ours. Help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.